Happy Mother's Day to all the moms and moms-to-be. Um, here's a husband's message. Honey, I got hit by a car outside of the office. Tina brought me to the hospital. They've been doing tests, taking x-rays. The blow to my head was very strong, but they say I won't have any lasting injury. I have three broken ribs, a broken arm, a compound fracture in the left leg. They may have to amputate my right foot. Wife's response, who's Tina? <laughs> that is true. And finally, a couple of things mom taught us. My mom taught us about anticipation. Just wait till your father gets home. My mother taught me about receiving. You're going to get it, boy, when we get home. Mom taught me how to meet a challenge. What were you thinking? Answer me when I talk to you. Don't talk back to me. My mother taught me logic. If you fall out of that tree and break your neck, you're not going to the store with me. Yeah. My mom taught me medical science. If you don't stop crossing your eyes, they're going to freeze that way. My mother taught me ESP. Put on your sweater. Don't you think I know when you're cold? <laughs> My mom taught me humor. When that lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't come running to me. My mother taught me about sex. How do you think you got here? And my mother taught me about genetics. You're just like your father. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to all of our moms. How about a good applause for all the moms and moms-to-be? Great. I'm reading out of 1 Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 2 this morning. This is a true story right out of the Old Testament. I hope it's liberating to all the women, old and young, in this auditorium and those that might be listening by live stream. A man had two wives. Polygamy was widespread in the Old Testament. God didn't like it, but they did it anyway. So a man had two wives, and one of his wives had a lot of children. And for whatever reason, that man did not love this wife that much. His other wife that he loved with all of his heart, unfortunately, was barren. So there's jealousy and conflict between the two women. The one with many kids took great delight in tormenting and ridiculing the barren wife. And as you could imagine, Hannah, the wife who's the favorite and who's barren, felt diminished, rejected, and broken in her heart about not being able to have kids. So you add to that pain the ridicule of the other wife, and you got lots of pain. So Hannah, in the middle of her pain, breaks down and pours out her heart to God. The Bible says she wept bitterly over her disappointment. But later on, she takes a different approach, and she makes a vow before God. She said, God, if you give me a child, I'll give that child back to you. I'll raise that child and then put him back in your service for the rest of his life. So later, God answers her prayer and gives her a son. She names him Samuel. She dedicated Samuel to God. She raised him and then brought him to the tabernacle and handed him over to the high priest, Eli, and she said, here's my child. I made a covenant with God. I'd bring him up and then put him in service with God for the rest of his life. So now he's yours. And Samuel the prophet grows up to figure very prominently in the unfolding history of Israel. He's the one who anoints the first king, Saul. He's the one who later anoints King David to be the new king. 
It's a pretty dramatic story. You can read it later for yourself, but from that simple story, let me make four observations on this Mother's Day weekend. Number one, no matter what anybody says, motherhood is a noble and high aspiration. It is an honor. Hannah wanted to be a mother. She felt it would be an honorable investment of the substantial years of her time. And history affirms the importance of the role that moms play in giving and shaping human lives and history. Throughout history, certain women have searched their own hearts and discovered what they wanted to do with their lives most was to be mothers and to give themselves to a ministry of being a mother. So God knew all along that without quality women making the courageous choice of motherhood, the whole human race is in big trouble. In the last 40 years, probably 50 now, at least in my memory, the feminist movement did a lot of things. There are some positives. A strange shift has occurred that seriously undermined the role of mothers, however. Let me be quick to affirm the positive. Because of the feminist movement, a lot of much-needed correction to our society and culture was shifted as to how women were valued in the marketplace. You know, if you do equal work, you ought to get equal pay. What gender you are should have nothing to do with what you do. So thanks to the feminist movement, millions of young women are free to discover their gifts and talents and pursue their career goals with a freedom unknown to previous generations of women. And may I remind the young women in here, it wasn't that long ago you couldn't even vote as a woman. Thanks to the feminist movement, my daughters and yours are able to walk through vocational doors that were shut tight not that long ago. But with any social movement that involves correction, it usually goes beyond balance and produces some overreaction. So that now the overreaction has so affected circles today that if a mother or a woman chooses to be a mother and devote herself to raising children, they are often considered not very high in the value system of our culture. If a woman, however, says, look, I'm going on with my education to pursue law or medicine or politics or business, well, cheers will break out from the grandstands. But don't expect much applause for the woman who pursues the ministry of mothering. In fact, you're likely to hear often, well, you're just throwing your life away. I've often heard women lower their voices in social settings with very reputable and renowned other women. When asked what they do, they say, well, I'm just a mother, just a homemaker. No, I don't do anything important. I just raise kids. So the nobility and honor has slowly been stripped away from the challenge of child rearing. Now it's not deemed as honorable as it should be. There was a time when men and women carried the notion that mothers had a powerful effect on society, on culture, and the church. The old adage said, she who rocks the cradle rules the world. But today, values are quite different. I think gone is the long-term perspective of raising up well-adjusted, competent, caring young people who carry the leadership baton into the next generation. Today's value system demands immediate gratification, short-term payoff, visible symbols of your effort and values. 
So it's difficult, I think, in our culture today for a mom to feel valued and significant even when her kids turn out bright, loving, honest, and happy, and even when they become followers of Christ, especially when these mothers have female friends who are well-paid executives for corporations. They tend to think, having great kids? What does that matter in today's world? Well, tragically, it probably doesn't matter much in our value system today, but that's a tragedy. That's a short-sighted, superficial culture that we live in. It was a lot easier in Hannah's day to see the nobility of motherhood because it was part of the culture. It was an honorable investment of a woman's life. So Hannah was not apologetic about wanting to be a mom. She saw it as a perfect fit for her. It seemed like the most significant role in the world to her. So let me say to all the women, young and old in this room, if you feel an aspiration to be part of the ministry of mothering, it is a noble and honorable thing you aspire to. Second observation is the ridicule Hannah took from the other wife of her husband. Scripture says that that calloused woman intentionally provoked Hannah shamed her repeatedly because she didn't have any children. And usually, usually, a mother's chief antagonist today is another woman or other women. One author who is a woman writes this, quote, In the past, homemakers felt that men did not fully appreciate what went into raising children and running a household. But they often received understanding and support from other women at least. However, today's moms find it particularly disturbing when other women criticize and degrade them. And boy, criticize they do. You'll hear women expressing strong opinions about what a woman should do and be, and brother, until you hear it in the church, you ain't heard it yet. You will have all kinds of opinions. Some cry out, all women should pursue careers. Other voices cry out, all women should be full-time mothers. Others cry, all diligent mothers should homeschool their children if they really love them. And still others cry out, all mothers should mix child-rearing with work outside the home so as to avoid just wearing the homemaker badge. The problem word in all that I just said is the word all as if there is a single mole all women should be stuffed into. So what's the answer? How do women who have long since liberated themselves from the approval of men get liberated from the conflicting opinions and expectations of other women? God doesn't have one mole for all women or men. God is a God of diversity, and thank God He is. I think the ultimate answer is to declare God to be the ultimate guide the ultimate decision-making and what you're going to be and what you're going to do as to your life and your career choice. Amen. And then move out confidently regardless of what other men or other women think. I'm trying. <laughs> Let me remind everybody, God is our author and creator, and He's the one who wired us up. God knows your gifts, your talent, your passions, your abilities, and your makeup, because He made you. And He knows what particular path is best suited for your life, and He cares. And He'll offer guidance to you if you'll seek it humbly. And the question is, will you follow that direction when God gives it? 
There are many women in the Bible who looked to God for guidance and got some unusual custom-tailored leading and then followed it courageously. In Judges 4, for example, there's a crisis of leadership in the nation of Israel. It's a depressing time for the nation. They're overrun by enemies. And in that vacuum of leadership, the public, the nation, cried out to God to take action. And God did. He called a woman named Deborah, and he assigned her to the top leadership role in the nation. God used her to ignite a political and military turnaround that led that nation into 40 years of peace and prosperity. There have been other strong women, Golda Meir from Israel, Margaret Thatcher, the Iron uh, Woman. I mean, there have been some very powerful women politically and militarily throughout the Bible and throughout history. We seem to forget that. So God used this woman powerfully. There's another time in the Old Testament when a pagan ruler was planning a holocaust to exterminate all of the Jews, a whole generation of God's people. And God, in His grace, stepped in and chose a woman named Esther to be the key deliverer of an entire nation. God had deliberately given Esther extraordinary physical beauty. (laughs) He could not reach the pagan king on theology. So knowing he made men, he knew how to get his attention. So with hotness and cleavage, he got that king. And the king was so wowed, he said, Esther, what do you want to the half of my kingdom? Typical man. If God can't get you on a high spiritual level, he'll get you on a carnal level. But he'll get you if he wants you. And so God used this knockout woman for a purpose. Don't demean physical beauty. She was in a beauty contest. Watch your mouth. We just sometimes shoot the big mouth off and we, like some political figures, and we don't think about what we're saying. You better remember God can use anything. So God uses a combination of Esther's beauty, her cooperative personality, and her courage to save His own people from extinction. And Esther obeyed the assignment. And let me tell you something, baby, this was high risk. It brought her to the edge of her faith and to the edge of her life. As Esther's deciding to cooperate with God's plan, she will say, I will do what God has asked me to do. Pause. And if I perish, I perish. Because to go into the king without having been summoned, can you imagine women living under that? You could be executed just because you came in unannounced. Thank God for women's lib on that one, huh? I hear husbands now. Excuse me, I didn't summon you. Next. Yeah, you girls live in a good age today. But think about the courage of this little beauty contestant knowing that she could die. And I guess... It's got to be one of my favorite verses on total commitment and obeying God. And it didn't come from a man. It came from a woman, a godly, courageous woman. If I perish, I perish. And she saved a whole nation. And she didn't take her clues from men, and she didn't cower from other women. She didn't cave into cultural expectation either. But she was willing to risk her life to carry out the assignment God had given her. Then over in the New Testament, God anointed a young man named Apollos with an extraordinary teaching gift, it says. 
However, he wasn't real smart. He lacked knowledge. And God used a man and a wife named Aquila and Priscilla as seminary faculty team to train up this gifted speaker. And Priscilla cooperated with God's assignment, and God used a woman to help prepare a key man for his role in the emerging early church. And it was highly unusual in that male culture. But God knew how He had made Priscilla and how she would be a difference maker. And Apollos, he cooperated with God's plan and received the wisdom this woman had. And of course, when God wanted a woman named Mary to birth His son Jesus, He assigned her the task to nurture and invest herself in the raising of God's Son. And Mary obeyed. Pretty shocking. I'm going to carry a baby nine months with no husband in that culture? Can you imagine? She said, be it unto me according to your word. Wow. And this is a woman saying that. He knew her assignment was consistent with how he made her. And Mary gave the world its Savior. Now, we could use a lot of other examples, but those four I picked to show there's no single mole all women have to fit into. So just reload your pantyhose and get over it. <laughs> Quit judging other women. There's not a single calling God expects all women to pursue. Deborah was called to be a political and military leader, and God blessed her. Esther was a beauty queen, and God blessed her. Priscilla was a theological instructor, and God blessed her. And Mary was a mom and a homemaker, and God blessed her. So the challenge for all women here is to reject the idea pressed on you by religion that there is a single appropriate mold that's been defined by men or women or by the Bible or by culture because it's not there, and break out of that mold and receive authentic instructions from God who alone has made all of us unique. So celebrate that uniqueness. Affirm each other's value and importance to the world. There are, there are, there are single moms raising children in here who cannot afford a private school tuition or a Christian ed education. It's horribly expensive. Are you going to tell her that she, she's going to lose her kids? Moses' mom didn't have a chance to raise her kid in a Jewish theological Christian school. She got to raise him in her home, and then she got to pray for him as he was raised in an Egyptian university. And she didn't lose Moses. He went on to serve God faithfully. Don't tell me you don't have some control, even through prayer, to affect those children. Whatever the situation and choices that you're limited with, God will use that. Perhaps if put me in homeschool, there will be child protective services coming to my house. I am not wired for that. And you can say, well, 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 nothing. Suck it up. I don't have that temperament, so it's not going to happen. So I'm, I'm simply saying to you, everybody doesn't have that time or temperament. Fine. We bless those who do. We bless those who don't. Just be you. Celebrate your uniqueness. Uh, my, how would you like, how would you women like to be a pastor's wife of all the job titles I could think of, I wouldn't want would be that in today's religious culture. Because the expectation of churches and denominations vary widely about who you're supposed to be. So 
the pastor is the shepherd, over-shepherd with the elders of the church, but don't put that on the wife. Well, she should be the Bible teacher, not if she doesn't have that gift. You can marry a prophet, and like some denominations, you get a sign, prophetess. Well, honey, you are not a prophetess because you marry a prophet. You are his wife. You get to share his honor. You get to share respect. You get to share the reward of his labor. But you don't get his gift by marriage. Are you nuts? I, want, I, I, I don't get it. I think we have one of the finest women's Bible teacher anywhere on TV or the world in Sandy Ross. And my wife loves Sandy, supports Sandy, and Cindy has chosen. She does a little bit there, but that's not her primary gift. And so I don't put that burden on her. She doesn't have to dye her hair, fluff it up, permit, uh, wear her sparkly bling bling and play the piano and prophesy. Now that came out of the charismatic faith movement. Nonsense. You don't have to do that. You just you. If you're a mom and a wonderful housewife, then you keep order and peace there in the house. You happen to be married to somebody who happens to be a minister. Fine. Because my kids are raised. Are, are your children going to go in the ministry? No, I hope not. Not unless God calls them. I'd rather be captain of the Titanic than be unless God calls you. You wouldn't volunteer for this kind of work. I mean, you're open to constant criticism all the time. You can't please anybody hardly long. Everybody looks, everybody makes assessment, everybody judges. I'd like to give you 30 minutes on stage. And I'll tell you what, it's not easy, but it's easy if you've been called to do it. God will equip you, God will sustain you, God will preserve you, that's fine. But I'm trying to say, don't be what the culture expects you to be. Don't be what religion, uh, be what God says. And God says, you're different. Be who you are. Run a bank, run a career, and have kids, your choice. However you're wired, you go ahead and do it. But affirm other women's value and importance to the church and to the world because God is a God of diversity who calls women into a lot of different kinds of assignments. Third observation from Hannah underscores the centrality of prayer in the life of a woman. Scripture tells us Hannah's antagonist provoked her bitterly year after year and shamed her relentlessly because she was barren. What a nice Christian woman. Yeah. However, old Hannah had a secret weapon of mass destruction, and she could deploy it whenever she felt beaten down, and it was prayer, the power of prayer. And the text says in verse 15 that when she prayed, she would pour out her heart to God, and God listened, and God understood, and God cared. And it was so powerful, she was so lost in that prayer that when Eli saw her praying at the tabernacle, he thought she was drunk, misjudged her completely. And then when he found out what she was praying for, he agreed with her to grant that request. And I know we have women in this church, possibly in every conceivable life situation. And maybe you need to be reminded this Mother's Day weekend of the centrality and power of prayer that you hold. Maybe we have some beaten down and discouraged moms here today who need that kind of inner healing that only prayer can affect. Maybe we have moms facing an empty nest. That's got to be tough. Or maybe we have some moms who have lost a child. That's got to be devastating. It's like losing a part of your body. And maybe you have mothers of wayward children in here who feel like, well, I must be a total failure. 
Maybe we have single moms who wonder how they're going to be able to keep everything together. Maybe we have women who no longer, uh, who want to be a mom, but for some reason, maybe physically, they cannot be. And then we have moms in blended families where maybe it's not working well yet. Lots of conditions. So be reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Or 1 Peter 5, verse 7, cast all your care on Him, for God cares for you. Or maybe you need to receive permission from Psalm 62, verse 8, pour out your heart to God. Hey, God can take it. Tell Him what you think. By the way, He knows already. He knows the thought and intent of every heart, so you're not faking it out. You're you're not, well, I don't want to say that. God might think. God already knows my thought and my intention. So why don't I just say how I feel? That may not be reality. It's how I feel. Share. If you were talking to a best friend, you'd share. If we're sitting down at Starbucks, you'd share. You'd pour your heart out. All right. Well, God says, would you approach me the same way? Pour it out. I give you permission. It's therapeutic, by the way. You think a psychologist gets $150 an hour for you to lay on the couch and just talk. He didn't do anything. You just sort of therapeuticized yourself. Don't you feel better when, you, when you're going through something and you're with a good friend and you just talk it out? They, nothing changed, but you feel better. Yeah, a little bit. Well, God says, I want you to pour it out because I can make a difference. Unlike your best friend, I can actually change the situation. Pour out your heart to God. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. So that's one weapon you've got no matter what's going on. Even if your kids have left the nest as adults, you still can pray over them. And those prayers will go on long after you hit the dirt and you're buried. Those prayers will continue. So those kids can run, but they can't hide. I love that. Well, Hannah found strength in prayer. She felt safe and secure when she prayed. And Hannah would regain her perspective after she prayed. She fought off despair, and she got new hope every time she prayed. So let me challenge all the women of Summit Christian Center. Pray. Pray often. Pray earnestly about anything, about everything. Make your requests known and make them specific. Lord, that wayward child, I'm quoting from Acts 28, I think it is. Turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they might receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among them sanctified by faith in Jesus. Just quoting the Word of God over them out there. I don't know if they're in drugs. I don't know if they're in sexual permissive. I don't know what's going on with them. But I'm asking you to turn them. See, parents still have a covenant connection that has some spiritual authority over that child. Use it or lose it. Well, it's not going to do any good now. It'll do a lot of good. Keep praying. Men ought always to pray and not to quit. I think the King James said faint, but quit. So you got two choices in every crisis, pray or quit. At least with prayer, I've got a shot at changing this thing. So make it a good one. Amen. Number four. Here's the last one. Hannah discovered that preparing a child for a life of service to God is the highest calling of a mother. Because Hannah was barren for so long, she had tons of time to kind of sort out why she wanted to be a mother. 
And I'm sure at the start, she had a lot of superficial reasons, and you could understand it. Like, I want to compete with that other wife. I want to have as many kids as her, so my husband will like me. Or she wanted to look better in the eyes of other women in the culture who are already mothers and looked with disdain on women that didn't have children. But eventually she came to the point where she saw child raising as an opportunity to give God glory by preparing a young person for a lifetime of worship and service to God. So when she landed on that reason, she made a simple vow to God. Oh God, if you grant me a child as a gift from your gracious hand, I'll do everything in my power to love and nurture and model spiritual life to that child in hope that someday he or she will be completely available to you for a lifetime of service. And God heard, and God saw Hannah's heart and gave her a son. And Hannah did exactly what she promised God she would do. And this child Samuel became one of the most important spiritual leaders in the history of Israel. And the point is that Hannah figured out that the ultimate goal of motherhood wasn't just to raise a kid to be well-adjusted, bright, and employable. She aimed a lot higher than that. She wanted that kid to serve God for a lifetime. So, do you have a vision like that for your children? Do you know what the goal is? Are you shooting high enough? Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment everybody ought to try to get your kids to pursue a Christian vocational career, not at all. But we all should pray that all of our children come to know Jesus and that they would want to serve and honor God no matter what their chosen career for the rest of their lives. That would be the ultimate joy for a mother or a dad. Why wouldn't we pray about it every day? Some parents take one day a week to fast for their children to come to know God and that they would want to give that life, whatever their career may be, in service to Him. And it's not too late to pray for grown-up children either and establish those goals for them or for your children. See, I don't, I'm not going to lay awake all night worrying about how much money my kids are going to make, or how big their house will be, or how late model their car will be, or, or what country club they'll be able to get into, or what they may achieve. My time of concern for my focus on my children and for their mates is to relay a relationship with Jesus, finding their spiritual gifts, using them passionately, developing solid Christian friendships, and following God's guidance wherever He leads them. Now, I know that's the simple stuff that pleases God, and I know that's the stuff that will give them lasting fulfillment in life. That's the stuff that's going to make Cindy and I and the rest of you moms and dads feel like we succeeded as parents. See, what would it profit if my kids gained the whole world and all the bling in it and lost their souls? See, Hannah sorted it out, so she shot high, and God honored her goal. So let's all decide to encourage our children to worship and serve God. Don't send them, bring them. Set an example for them. Let's get behind our youth programs here. Let's support the church liberally and enthusiastically and not be a church for today, but a church also for tomorrow because our children are our next generation. They are our future. So, amen. Come on. How about a good applause? Because that's true. Now, in closing, let me affirm one more time the honor and nobility of motherhood. It is a high, noble, and worthy calling for those who are called to pursue motherhood. It's okay not to be, but if you choose to be, in spite of this stinking culture, it's an honorable calling from God to nurture, teach, and inspire a child to the point he or she will worship and serve God for a lifetime. So, moms, 
On this Mother's Day, we honor you. We call what you're doing valuable and important. And before God, before your spouses, your children, your friends, and before everybody in this church, we celebrate and applaud your courageous choice to be a mother. And we ask God to energize you and empower you to be a mom just like Hannah. How about a good shout of amen? Amen. Amen. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.